welcome to Pop Cultural Osmosis. I'm Kyle Diaz. And I'm Ryan Harrington. And we are back after a long extended, what we're thinking of as kind of a season break since we finished up our time travel series back in uh, August. Anyway, here we are and our segment today, our opening segment today is going to be, we're going to do a first. Um, so today we're doing first uh, thing that you pirated. Um, and uh, this is all totally untrue for any FBI agents who are listening. This is just total lies and we, we never pirate anything. Um, <laughs> Ryan, you want to kick us off here? Incriminate yourself first. I feel like that was most... Man, we must be rusty because that was like the most awkward start to... I know, but now that you keep pointing it out, then I'm going to just keep, uh, you know, being awkward. But I, I mean, I can't just let it slide. I have to recognize it. Otherwise, they're going to be like, what is wrong with these guys? Oh, well, we messed up another one recently, too. Maybe our intros are just rusty these days. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so I'm not 100% sure this is actually my first time pirating something but it's definitely the first one i can clearly remember mm-hmm. um and I, like when i when i posed this same question to some of my coworkers earlier today um they had not originally considered what i did pirating but they were like no it pretty much is mm-hmm. which was um when did it come out it must have been must have been around uh Nine, eight. Okay. Um, and so HBO is having one of those like free sample weekends uh-huh. uh, for cable TV viewers. So like, if you had like regular TV, they'd give you HBO for like a whole weekend, so you could check it out and be like, "I want this." I will pay whatever thirty bucks a month to watch HBO. <laughs> and so, but anyway, so during that free weekend, I saw that they were playing Clueless. On, or like I read in the TV guide or something. So I set up the VCR to tape it, and I saved it all the way basically up until um, like I left for college and didn't have a VCR anymore, and then I ended up buying it on DVD. But like I watched that VHS tape, which I taped off of HBO for any time I wanted to watch Clueless, which is probably more times than I should have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I actually do not think that that is, I think officially that is not piracy. Because there was a Supreme Court case um, about VCRs. Uh, hold on. Let me see. It's Sony Corp versus Universal City Studios, also known as the Betamax case, um, in which the United States Supreme Court ruled that making individuals of copies of complete television shows for the purposes of time shifting does not in- constitute copyright infringement, but is fair use. <clears throat> so I think technically that is actually not pirating because you can't go to jail for uh, time shifting media that's broadcast uh, to your home interesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I had to learn about this from my communications law class um it was like a you know very thin line and when vcrs first came out everyone was like you know no one will go to the movies anymore i mean yeah we yeah I, so anytime anything new come technology wise comes out where people think their way of life is threatened it, I always laugh. Exactly. So this this case uh, was like an 83, 84 uh, time frame has been like the basis for why things like VCRs and uh, more recently like DVRs and TiVo uh, have been legal. It's also not illegal to make a mixtape of uh, songs played on the radio. I, I think that I think that where it becomes piracy or where it becomes piracy is in the distribution. So like if you were to like 
copy something off of HBO onto a VHS tape and then copy that VHS tape and sell it or give it away, that would be copyright infringement. Yes, and see that that and that's usually how most of uh, these piracy lawsuits come down is that they come down on people that have distributed it out to other people mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the internet and less so to download it. Hmm. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. And then we're wandering into vagaries of the law that we don't really understand. But I, I think that, unlike me, you could not theoretically pay a fine or go to jail for admitting what you just admitted. Um, which, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, why couldn't you just be like me and just really want to watch Alicia Silverstone? I, I it's retell. particularly funny that it's Clueless. Like, Clueless is a good movie, don't get me wrong, but it's just a very random movie for you to be recording at age eight to be able to watch until you went to college. Or I would eventually buy it on DVD. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, um, mine is uh, a little bit more of what we can think of today when I think we think of especially like internet and online piracy. And it came in the very early days of Napster. So I think it was in 1999 or 2000. Uh, so I was maybe, uh, what was that, 12 years old, 13 years old. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, like it's hard to remember these days or, or it's... Uh, it's hard to realize how transformative Napster was. Like, prior to Napster, the internet was, like, fundamentally pretty useless. Like, you couldn't really do very much with it. You couldn't watch any videos, except if you wanted to take forever to download these files. You couldn't really listen to songs. There's no way of distributing songs through the internet. Like, it was um, pretty much a text and uh, blocky image-based uh, communications medium um, and Napster was the first service that I used that really changed that it was like the first kind of multimedia experience um, that I had on the internet and it was quite uh, it was it was quite exciting um, you know what uh, my when I downloaded Napster we'd all kind of heard about it. a couple of my friends and I had heard about it and we were like there's no way this can possibly just work like you can't just be able to type in like the name of an artist and double click and like be off to the races. We didn't, we didn't believe that it would work that way. Um, so I remember that we were in my room where I had a PC and a couple of my friends all gathered around. We booted up Napster with that little grinning, you know, alien dude with the headphones on. And, uh, we, the first thing that we searched for was, uh, Lincoln park, uh, which we were quite into at the time because hybrid theory had just come out. And we just double-clicked on a random song, which turned out to be a song called My December, which is not particularly rocky. It's kind of a weird piano-based, like, slow song. It's a B-side. It was released, like, on their Japanese album or something like that. Um, And we just watched it, like, download, and it went from, you know, like, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, and we kind of just watched it the whole way, and then when it finished, we double-clicked on it, and it played, and we were like, holy fucking shit, this is crazy. (laughs) Did one song originally take you, like... Only 30 seconds to download? It was surprisingly fast in the beginning. Um, I mean, I think that's why it was, um, you know, why it became popular. It was like the first, like, kind of peer to peer sharing that really got popular. I mean, you could do this with, like, IRC or stuff like that, but. Um, sure, but that IRC was kind of. And the, the, the very search, niche. like, there was no search. Like, on Napster, it was like a, you know, it was like a Google for essentially pirated content. Um, and, uh,. Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't take a particularly long time, especially not with like a single song uh, on our network at that point, which I don't remember what, what speed we would have had in the 
late nineties, early two thousands, but it wasn't <clears throat> super fast. Um, but I can uh, interrupt you for just one second. Sure. Uh, the Napster logo quote was intended to be a cat, partly uh-huh. as a response to Lycos using a dog in their advertising at the time. Lycos was a preferred way to search for MP3s prior to the Napster program and other peer-to-peer initiatives. Interesting. Lycos, man. Wow, yeah. Napster's yeah. logo was a response to the popularity of Lycos. That's like <laughs> 1999, just bottled in a, in a nutshell. Sense. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Anyway, after that, we went on a like a binge downloading spree. I've like still got files in my music library that have like horrible n- names you know like na- the the id3 tags are all messed up or they're not oh, the yeah. right file or like all kinds of shit like that because it very quickly became a cesspool but like for those like couple of weeks or, or a couple of months in there when like the results were uh on point and the speeds were pretty fast and like it was just it was like a, a like a truly magical experience, which is why I think it really took off and got the attention that it did and eventually, you know, got shut down because uh, Metallica got mad, basically. Um, but, uh, yeah, My December by Linkin Park is definitely the first thing that I ever pirated, and it is a weird, you know, b sidey little Linkin Park song that uh, I don't know how many people would have even ever heard if it weren't for Napster and, and things like this. pretty amazing in the beginning which made the uh like uh following descent into like shitty cesspool of all kinds of dangerous and copyrighted materials just like that much worse like i was never again able like in those days like you're so innocent like you didn't even think about the possibility that somebody was just uploading viruses or whatever you're just like they're just songs everyone's sharing songs and after that whenever i would log into like uh nutella or kazaa or like any of the ones that came after it'd be like oh my god everything in here is a spam or like a malware and people just destroyed their computers (laughs) yeah i don't really pirate much of anything anymore no. Like every once in a while, if there's like a TV show that I can't get or something, I'll like wander into Pirate Bay and grab it and then turn off the BitTorrent client like as quickly as humanly possible. But like for the most part, like the convenience factor and the not feeling dirty about it factor like are way bigger to me. Um, and I think things like RDO or Spotify have basically, and YouTube actually, have basically solve this problem for good uh for music oh yeah i mean at this point now music can be compressed so small Mm -hmm. and um like because like part of the problem back in the day was if you went to a website and you wanted to download a song like anyone who wanted to download that song had to get it from one server basically yeah that one website 
and no one had a very good internet connection at all back then. Yeah, it would take forever, and that's that's why peer to peer was so useful because it was just one person saying basically just one other person. Yeah, it's a direct, it's a much faster connection. But now now everyone's internet is so much faster, and these files are so much smaller mm-hmm. that like one centralized place has a much easier time distributing it to the I don't know seventy million people. Yeah, well, it would just make you greedy too. Like I remember, like back when I was downloading lots of stuff. Like if I decided that I wanted to like listen to like an album by Led Zeppelin, like the risk was pretty much the same in downloading one Led Zeppelin song as it was in downloading Led Zeppelin's entire discography. So you'd end up with like you know twenty five gigabytes worth of Led Zeppelin. You know every album, every uh, you know live album every recording of a radio show performance like it was all uh, like i just i just i was just like a glutton i just like give it all to me give it all to me now you know like i i pretty much you know if i want to listen to a led zeppelin song like i can listen to it like maybe i'll have to go on youtube and play it maybe i'll have to like buy it on the itunes store maybe i'll have to like listen to it in one of the subscription streaming services but like i don't have that same fear anymore that like or not fear exactly but like the I'm pretty much never without the ability to listen to one of these things if I want to listen to them. So it makes the whole thing right. moot. So, and it's it's the same with uh, with movies to some extent. Like, you know, I don't have to wait for it to finish downloading so I can move it to a flash drive so I can plug it into the front of my Blu-ray player so I can watch it on my TV. I'm just gonna go watch it on Amazon Video or iTunes Video or something like that or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like not having to actually store it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because uh-huh. I don't have enough room on my computer for... I, I, I've really come into trying to be as streamlined and lightweight as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm tired of... Because, I, I mean, I remember back in the day, like, I backed up... Like, if I downloaded a TV series... And I, it would be on my hard drive, and then I would move it onto a DVD disc, mm-hmm. and then I would just have this pile of DVD discs. Yeah, like when we when we burned through the West Wing, uh, when we were like maybe sophomores in college or something. So that's like 2006. Like I had like 150 gigabytes worth of West Wing episodes on, you know. 15 DVDs spread throughout our dorm room, and they never worked very well to watch. The files, the read speeds weren't fast enough to actually watch them off of the DVD, so you'd have to like copy them to your desktop, and like it was just a it was just a giant shit show, and it was um, very ripe for someone to come along and be like, you know, hey, this could be so much better, this could be so much easier, and Netflix, I think, is the one who really did that, but a bunch of people kind of got in the game and were like, yeah, you know, you don't have to. Oh live my this god, way. Netflix West Wing on on it. Instant streaming is just like, mm-hmm. hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And I like how Netflix really started for movies, and then they realized, like, actually, wait a minute. People have no problem buying one $10 DVD, but what they really hate is buying a $150 season of a TV series. So it's like, it also, went from they're being... Way cheaper for us to yeah, buy. <laughs> exactly. It went from being that the only legal way that I could watch, like, Star Trek The Next Generation was either to wait for an episode to come on syndication or buy, literally, I think it would cost about $500 to buy all seven seasons. 
Maybe not quite, but what? like, yeah, because I mean, it's a season of Star Trek on DVD is like, what, 60, 70 bucks? And Jesus the, Christ. The complete series of Star Trek The Next Generation is $424 list price. I mean, it's like, it's a huge number of episodes. It's seven seasons of 22 episodes apiece. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of TV. And now, thanks to Netflix, it's all at my fingertips all the time. And I don't have to store, you know, terabytes worth of Star Trek anymore. I mean, hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good segment. Yeah, I like that, actually. I think it grew well. I'm surprised he didn't make more fun of me for uh, Like in Lincoln Park. <laughs> wow. I think that's self-evident. <laughs> you know what always gets me? is like... I fully understand that, like, Linkin Park is just objectively, like, not even subjectively, but just objectively a bad band, right? hmm Yeah. But, like, I also, like, can't really discount the fact that some people in the world get, like, a genuine emotional need filled by Linkin Park, including me at, like, age 10 or 11. Like, I really responded to this music, like, emotionally. And so I was listening to my December earlier on youtube and i was like this song is such a fucking piece of shit and then i scroll down and the first comment is and this is just a direct quote right here i love this song my birthday may be in december but this song i had played at my son's funeral r.i.p leo daddy loves you and it's just like well who am i to say that this song is Whoa. shit if this guy wants to play it at his son's fucking funeral you know like it's it's like it's like it it objectively i know the song is bad but like subjectively it's it's also kind of like who am i to dismiss this person's like emotional reaction to a piece of art so it's like i don't know it's it's always i don't know what to do when people really like art that i know is really horrible because you don't want to like destroy their appreciation of it or like dismiss their appreciation of it but you also have to be like actually this is just really bad like you should you shouldn't like like you should have a better song played at your son's funeral you know what i mean yeah yeah. Oh, God, that is intense. <laughs> what was that funeral like? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Agents of Shield. Um, so, and we've been talking, we've been uh, not talking, but reading about this show for a long time. You know, it was announced, I think, pretty much shortly after Avengers came out, that uh, Joss Whedon was going to develop a uh, Avengers-related or a Marvel Universe-related property for television. For TV, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as big fans of the Avengers and superheroes and Joss Whedon. Exactly. It seemed like it was right up our alley in a lot of ways. Um, but then, uh, you know, the the show started airing a couple weeks ago, and I, I would say that reaction, a lot of reaction I'm seeing and reading and, and kind of uh, you know coming across on the internet has been, uh, I, I would say, pretty negative. Um, and, uh, so I'm curious to see whether that's your reaction too, or like, what, what, what do you think of the show so far? I think I've, I've seen four episodes. I don't know how many you've seen. Yeah, I've, I've, I've also seen four. Oh, wait, are you asking about what I think or my impressions of what the general consensus has been? Cause uh, I think it's both. Cause I mean, my general, the, the general impression I get from other people on the internet is sort of similar to mine in that they were surprised at how not bad it was mm, interesting. interesting they were expecting it to be much worse that's and, that's fascinating okay and so what, what and do you think that's that's generally how i feel like i was surprised at how much i actually 
did not mind watching it. Me too. I'm I'm like pretty wholeheartedly behind this series. I, I kind of really like it so far. And I should we should also say here that um, we have four episodes here, which is much better than the last time we talked about a new TV series based on a popular property because um, I don't know if you, you probably feel a little bit smug about this, but if you go back to our episode 36, uh, Jill, our guest, and I were pretty positive about the pilot episode of Under the Dome. And that show has turned out to be a complete piece of crap. Like, really, really, really stunningly bad. Can't even watch it. Didn't even finish the series. Piece of crap. So, um. To be fair, though, Jill still has said numerous times to me that it is so bad it has become good. Okay, okay. And so she, she thinks enjoys watching. She enjoys watching it in that way that you watch bad things yeah. and okay. laugh at how absurd it is. Okay. I very quickly gave up on that yeah. show so, because I, I was just like, I, I don't have an hour a week to do with this. So we're, we're basing our impressions of four episodes. There's still plenty of time, I would say, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to become a really bad show, especially since it. I, I'm not totally stoked about the idea that it has a 22-episode uh, run. Um, oh, is it 22? I thought it was 12. No, it's it's double. It's it's a uh, a full network season. Oh, okay. Uh, which well, honestly kind of bums me out. Like I, I feel like there are very few shows that can sustain, uh, you know, that kind of stuff over an entire season that long at forty minutes. Uh, um. Well, uh, was it always like after the pilot was it always slated to be twenty two? I don't know. It just says here on October ten. Oh, maybe not because it says on October ten, two thousand thirteen. ABC picked it up for a full season of 22 episodes. So that was only like a week ago. It was after yeah. it started airing. After... That would have been after the third episode aired, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe some of those aren't produced yet. Um, so yeah, like... So if they were set up maybe for, you know, the 12 or... It's usually 13 mm-hmm. for the winter break. Mm-hmm. And you get... Because I do like that there... There is this overarching thing especially with colson yeah um and what happened to him yeah between now and the avengers Mm -hmm. um we'll see if we get any you're right though i think that if this whole thing drags on through an entire 22 episode season it's gonna drag yeah exactly but so if they're able to tie it up by the mid-season and then we just spend spring with something new that might be okay Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, and I would say that so far, signs are pretty encouraging because unlike Under the Dome, uh, each episode has been better than the one prior to it, I, I would say. Um, especially especially the fourth episode. The most recent episode, uh, which no, is called right. fourth, I Spy, was awesome. was definitely the strongest. Yeah. I will, I will say, though, um, I kind of don't like most of the main characters right so this is a this is a weird thing because like i like watching the show but i basically (laughs) only like clark Gregg, and then to a lesser degree um the person who plays melinda may yeah i i would say i like i like uh colson i like may and i am gently amused by fitzsimmons um oh yeah they're they're very much like though in the background compared to Sky and 
Agent Ward. Yeah. When and I mean Ward is fine. I don't have a problem with Ward. Um on yeah. the on the forums for uh Badass Digest, which is a like T V and movie uh you know, review site, they've they've been calling him Agent Banana Republic. Which I think is pretty funny and pretty accurate. <laughs> um, so he's he's very bland. Like he's just he's not he's kind of a non entity. Not interesting. But I, you know, and this is where I think Whedon's influence will really kind of shine in because um, uh, he's getting better and he's getting more of a personality. And um, they they don't take him too seriously. Like yeah, he's silly and he's and he's but but he's he's like. I th- I feel like the show is starting to acknowledge the ways in which he is uh, a, a a ridiculous archetype. Um, yeah, and I'm thinking think of right. things like the poker scene from the end of the last episode, or or uh, you know, or or, or the um, the seduction scene from the last episode, which I thought was also played pretty the well. Seduce him, yeah. yeah. Um. That was a good one. Yeah. So I mean, so I think the show is is uh, you're right that it's weird that I don't like what are ostensibly supposed to be the two main characters, and I think in particular, Sky is just. I mean, the part of me that even slightly knows anything about technology just rebels at all her hacker bullshit. Um, yeah, but I mean, I'm kind. I've kind of resigned myself. I to... know, but it would be nice. Like, because she's supposed to be the realistic character who doesn't have access to all this crazy fancy shield stuff. Like, I I wish that they would just say, she's got shield technology, like, deal with it. That's how she can do all this stuff. But it's not. She's shown to be the kind of person who can, like, hack her way into triple encrypted whatevers. From and, her phone. Like, from her phone or from her van or whatever. And it's just like, like the internet doesn't work this way. That's not, yeah, it's like, not how... Although, <laughs> you imagine, like... If things were realistic, how boring it would be. Yeah, it would be super boring. She'd be sitting there coding for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And be like, uh, I forgot a semicolon somewhere. <laughs> you could go back through like 300 lines of code. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, she's I, also a lot. She. She feels just basically faith from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Well, all and of I, these characters uh, have what I would consider to be strong analogs to other Whedon uh, characters. Sure, other but I, mean, I, I, I feel like she even just like looks like Eliza Dushku a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because she's like this like brunette running around and being caustic, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, like, in terms of, like, Firefly is the other Whedon TV property that I'm most familiar with. So, it's, like, May is a very clear Zoe analog to me. Um, a lot of similarities between Coulson and Mal. Um, and then uh, the Fitzsimmons kind of, like, Kaylee combined, you know? Mm, kind of bumbling, yeah. not very good in a fight. Uh, you know, really likes technology and stuff. But these um, may just be like tropes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel like the relationships are very much similar, though, where it's like uh, older commander and his battle-hardened second-in-command, which is like the the, the Coulson-May uh, relationship does seem to me to be the strongest analog to, to Firefly. Um, yeah, probably. And it's... Def- it's- 
Well, actually, like I was gonna say, I'm they're the most interested. They're the two characters I'm most interested in seeing more about. But then again, I think back and like, well, I guess Sky does, but no one else really has background. No, we don't really know much about Ward or. As far as we can tell, Ward was a shield agent. Mm-hmm. Whoopty yeah. shit. Yeah. And then like Fitz and Simmons were science nerds. Yeah. Like there's nothing like. There's nothing that you want to ask about that behind that. Exactly. Like, what did they do a year before? Oh, they were probably being science nerds. Exactly, exactly. And so, it, it, since we don't have a ton of information or a ton of interest in the back uh, story of these characters, I feel like the tone is really what carries this show for me. And I'm so happy that they decided to go with this kind of jokey, um, you know, it, it's silly and it's, it's meant to be silly. Cheap. Yeah, like there's a flying car in the first episode. Like it's um, it's very it's very tongue in cheek, and in, in, but in a way that I'm really thankful for because I think, like we talked about it a couple months ago. I forget exactly what episode. It's like episode 34 or something, um, about the kind of uh, Nolanization of media these days, where it's like, uh, oh, it has to be super dark. Everything and gritty. has to be super dark and gritty, and you know, and that that's starting to really infect like comic book movies too. Like you know, um. Iron Man 3 had its jokey parts, but it was also quite serious at, at times, and especially the Nolan Batman films and, and the Man of Steel uh, movie showed definite signs of this too. And, like, the thing is, like, um, we don't have any superheroes here. These are real people. Um, and so it would be really easy for this... If this show took itself too seriously, it would just read really poorly. It would oh it would be hard it would be very hard to take it would be very hard to take it would be like well, kind of like fringe I guess except worse um, or or something like that so so I, I like that they're jokey about it and I think that's where the flashes of the characters like uh, the flashes of the characters that I do like come from that jokiness so and that, uh, that's why I think Clark Gregg is like an amazing cast for this. Mm-hmm. And he's the only person who, so far who can like really without seeming self-conscious handle all of the Whedon-esque dialogue. Cause some of these other characters, yeah. like it sounds a little stilted or you, you know, they not, they don't quite have the, the timbre down or the, the patter down. Um, you know what I, cut, I think it is? It's because, um, like the way Colson acts, um, reminds me so much of, Clark Gregg's character from the end of Sports Night. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's like, <laughs> you know, he's very self-assured and confident in what's going on, and, you know, like, he doesn't get riled. He just, everything just kind of rolls off of him, and he just kind of, you know, smirks and whatever. Yeah. Just lets it play out. Yeah. And, like, it's, and, you know, he spits out these, these witty dial like, quips and stuff. And so, and I th- so I think it's just they remind me so much of each other, and it's funny seeing Whedon and Sorkin kind of write like I guess like the same almost the same character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's I mean he's undoubtedly the strongest actor. I mean the rest of the cast is uh, I I would say considering how big these movies are, considering how big the budget must be for this show, and considering how much actors are willing to take TV roles these days, um, the rest of the actors are are startlingly unknown. Like, almost no 
TV or, or film credits for the rest of these folks at all. I thought the the woman who played Melinda may have been in a couple things. Maybe because she's a little older, so she, she's had, she's got a longer uh, a longer uh, resume or filmography than the rest of them do. But like Brett Dalton, who plays um, Agent Banana Republic, uh, has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven credits to his name. But in Blue Bloods, Army Wives, Killing Lincoln, beside like he's not a star. He's not a you know doesn't no one knows who he is. And same for all the rest of these people as far as I can tell. I guess uh Chloe Bennett was on Nashville for a while. Yeah, so let's see. Ming Na Wen was starred in the Joy Luck Club, mm-hmm. which was a pretty big film back in the day. Yeah. And she was a leading role in ER mm-hmm. for a while. And she was the title character of Mulan. Hmm. Oh, that, that's interesting. But voice acting, obviously. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised that they didn't go for someone else. Like, maybe the plan is for Kobe Smulders, Kobe, Kobe Smulders to come over once her How I Met Your Mother obligations are done, maybe? I doubt it, though. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think by then, like, um, if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Are, is successful, they will have already done a full 22-episode season, mm-hmm. and they'll be strong enough without bringing in uh, Outside people. Which makes me think that maybe some of this budget is going to guest appearances, which I'm totally behind, honestly, because well, the one I that mean, they've had so far was awesome. Yeah. When uh, Samuel L. Jackson showed up in... Uh, <laughs> the Nick Fury, like, end credits. Thing. When I saw that, I was like, yes. Yes, this is perfect. <laughs> um, so that was nice. I hope that they... I hope, I hope he keeps popping in. Uh, I, I almost feel like he really likes just, like, being this surprise thing at the end that people get really excited about. Because, mm-hmm. well, I guess he's do- he's done this in... Um, Right, he's been he's been in the in the uh, post credit sequence of every single Marvel universe film going back to Iron Man. Yeah, and it's been exciting every single exactly. time. Exactly, <laughs> especially back when you don't when like if you didn't follow comics, you didn't really know who he was. Like seeing him in the end of Iron Man back in the theaters was like holy shit! Like it was the first glimpse that most people got into the plan that Marvel had for this stuff. So it's. I don't know. It's nice to see him pop up on these things. Um, so, so I, I like the tone. I like the the uh, the stuff that they're building. The world is starting to get a little bit more fleshed out after a couple just kind of one off episodes where I was kind of like, I don't really understand like what's going on or who's what's happening. I feel like in the last two, they have started to hint at this larger kind of spy opposing spy organization. Um, in a way that I hope is going to pay off pretty well, and uh, it, I don't know, yeah. it just seems to be it, it's picking up steam, and it's and it's increasingly firing on a lot of cylinders that I really like. So, um, I mean, I'm going to keep watching. Yeah, me too. Um, definitely, it, it's actually the only show I've picked up this uh, fall. Although people, my brother, keep telling tell, telling me that I should watch Sleepy Hollow. I also hear Sleepy Hollow, which. Uh, it's weird because when I I immediately just dismiss Sleepy Hollow out of I don't know force of habit out of hand because it I looked ridiculous. But for some reason I I just lumped Sleepy Hollow in with um, 
like Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. or Grimm mm-hmm. or all of those other shows that came out like in the past couple of years about like what fairy tales or mm-hmm. like old established mythology. Yeah. Yeah. But I haven't picked up the blacklist. I have been watching I don't know, Michael J. Fox or any of the other new shows that have come out, but I am watching Agents of Shield. Oh, and on NBC's new Thursday night oh god, Thursday night lineup. I feel so bad for Parks and Rec. <laughs> it went from being like an all star lineup to being like no, it was not an all-star lineup. It was an all-star because, lineup when it had. Community was still hanging around. Its it, neck. Like, it was a it was a very strong lineup that creatively I enjoyed, but Community was very much like an albatross around the rest of that lineup. Maybe, that lineup but I'm just thinking back in the day when they had. What isn't it true that NBC's Thursday Night lineup at one point was Parks and Rec, Thirty Rock, The Office, and Community? Yes, that's awesome. I know. I loved it. But and now it's like pretty much, I guess. But now it's just Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, and then it struggles through that show with Mike O'Malley and oh no, his son marries like a Hispanic girl, and the two families have to get along. Is that really the plot of that show? Oh my god! Um, and there's uh, the one with um, the guy from Will and Grace. It's it's a rough TV season so far. Maybe other stuff will continue to come out, but so far, all all I'm really enjoying is Agents of Shield, and and obviously returning shows like Bob's Burgers and Key and Peele. I'm happy to see come back, but um, I'm not even really watching any returning shows. I watch. I think it's because I'm lazy. I watch New Girl, Key and Peele, Bob's Burgers. I'll, I'll watch Community when it comes back. Um. Mm, that might be about it, actually. And like, like I have, like I watched all of New Girl and Mindy Project last season, mm-hmm. and like I was like fine with it, and I just haven't bothered to watch it again. Well, last season we talked about when we were talking about Fall TV, or maybe was this two seasons ago? At some point when we were talking about Fall TV, we I, I mentioned that I'm still searching for a, a great um, like network uh, drama to draw me in. And I feel like there just still haven't been any. Like, there's just not a drama like Lost or um, Lost Caliber. Right. And uh, that's why I really wanted... This is a great segue because it brings us to our discussion of AMC. I really wanted I really wanted to like The Killing. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, yes, a nice, like, season-long mystery story... Yeah. To kind of understand, and then I started the first episode. I'm like, no, no, this is horrible. Sorry. Yeah. What you're really looking for there, by the way, is the fall, which I wrote about on my blog a couple uh, months ago. Stars Gillian Anderson of uh, X Files fame. Um, but again, yeah, that was a, a BBC show delivered straight to Netflix, so it you know didn't air in the traditional fashion. Um, but what you're alluding to with the, with the article is that uh, an article written in Grantland by Andy Greenwald about break about uh, AMC. Um, now I'll see if I can summarize it. His basic thesis is that, with the notable exception of The Walking Dead, which is an astonishingly popular television program that routinely gets ratings that even network even networks would kill for, um, 
I'm actually just looking at the numbers, and the pilot episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. got 12 million viewers, and the season four premiere of The Walking Dead got 16 million. 16 million is so ridiculous. It's so huge these days. Like, that is a huge, uh, a huge win for them. Um, but the, his basic thesis here is that AMC was able, because people, after The Sopranos and, and other kind of uh, marquee uh, cable shows of the early 2000s, um, the the playing field was just lousy with these shows. They were just lying around waiting for somebody to come pick them up. And uh, he's, it, the thesis of the article is basically that AMC was able to very quickly change its reputation from a place where you watch Rio Bravo at 3 in the morning to uh, places where intelligent, provocative television happened because it was able to scoop up Mad Men from HBO and Breaking Bad from FX and uh, kind of instantly establish its reputation as like this is where you come to watch like smart exciting television which um, is really weird when you think that because their channel is still american movie classics exactly like it's this is like fundamentally a very bizarre place for amc to find itself and it made that shift astonishingly quickly um but with breaking bad ending and mad men first on extended hiatus and then airing its last season and kind Although of. Although I just I just read that mm-hmm. it's break like Breaking Bad did it's breaking its last season into two parts that'll air over two years. Yeah, exactly. And so also now there's people. like a spinoff too about uh, Saul, uh, Bob Odenkirk's character from Breaking Bad. Yeah. Um, but the, the thesis is basically that like Breaking Bad and Mad Men aside, like all of AMC's homegrown shows have been A, pretty stupid, or B, pretty bad. So I would say Walking Dead definitely falls into that first category where like, I love the zombie aspect and it's an entertaining show, but it is really stupid and... Uh, oh yeah, because you, you watch, like if you think about it, you're like, this is not... Yeah, and, and, and like, a lot of times it's just like, at a, all. like pretty poorly made show. Like a lot of season two where they're like stuck at that farm, like it it, it it's it's startlingly slow and boring sometimes. Um, and it's had like yeah. a bunch of different showrunners and infighting among the staff, and it's just it's not it doesn't look like what a truly successful firing on all cylinders artistically uh, successful show looks like it it doesn't look like a sopranos or a game of thrones it's it's surprising at how well it holds itself together exactly exactly so uh, you know among the things that are not um either cast offs from other better channels or the walking dead uh amc's record is really really bad so it's got the killing which everyone pretty much didn't like and somehow managed to last four seasons um it's got hell on wheels which uh my mom really likes but apparently no one else because they moved it to saturday nights and then canceled it um they have low winter sun which is a show that i did not even know existed until it was already gone they had a show called rubicon that just drove people totally insane with having too many riddles and kind of just being generally kind of shitty and um basically like it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like they really have the ability to uh, capitalize on the su- on the success of their first couple of, of shows right out the gate, and they're like not exactly they're not exactly HBO two point which is kind of what everyone was, uh, was expecting expecting them to be a couple years back. But I mean, I wonder 
I feel like there's got to be, like, people writing good shows have got to be trying to pitch to AMC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I like, I, like, is this, like, some sort of issue where the higher-ups, like, are not creatively well-minded? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Because, again, like, I wanted, I liked the idea of The Killing, and I wanted it to be a good show. Mm-hmm. So maybe they did too, and then it just didn't. And then it just sucked because yeah. it was a bad show. Well, the, the article details some of the different ways that AMC gets original content, and none of it sounds particularly promising for. Oh, it really um, doesn't. You know, getting a, a good TV show made. Um, but the the fact of the matter is that even though you know it, 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 we have a lot of quality channels to go to for a really for for quality television these days you can watch somewhat trashier but still entertaining stuff on showtime fx is still astonishingly strong um hbo so obviously is kind I of wonder a how well fx will do now that it's split into two sh- two channels I, I think that's a horrible idea i can't believe they did I that know, i don't know why they did that either like do they really think that they're going to be able to have enough content to fill two channels yeah i don't know but and, like, isn't it? And it's like going to be kind of confusing too, right? Like, yeah. if you were like a normal person that you liked watching, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and suddenly now it's not on FX. You're like, well, where did it go? Mm-hmm. Oh, went to what, what is it, like FXX or something? Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, now I have to go find another channel. But you look at the you look at FX's lineup, and FX is a channel that's been doing this a long time. Unlike AMC, FX has been doing original programming for at least what I think like twelve or thirteen years. Yeah, FX, FX was, I think, one of the first really successful mm-hmm. cable networks to bring uh, original prime to a, like a wider audience, like to not necessarily like a network TV yeah. level audience, but certainly yeah. bigger than what had otherwise been known for cable TV. So, like, if you just, if you just, not leaving aside, like, The Shield and Nip Tuck and Rescue Me and all kinds of shows that FX used to have, if you just look at shows that are currently airing on FX, that lineup includes uh, Archer, Sons of Anarchy, Justified, The Americans, American Horror Story, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Louie, and The League. That's seven or eight shows that are all pretty distinct and all, I would say, super successful in their own ways yes um and like you look at amc what does amc have beyond the walking dead and it's like nothing yeah yeah i don't even know what else they show in the rest of the their time slots are they still showing like old movies i guess so I like guess if i so. turned on amc at like three thirty on a tuesday am i gonna see i don't know Goodfellas? If you don't see Goodfellas, then the only thing I can think of that you would see is Mad reruns, Men rerun. reruns of their own shows. Yeah, <laughs> But you can only do that for so many hours a day. So I just think it's interesting because like, basically, like in the beginning, you just had network television. And then you had network television and premium cable channels like HBO. And it took HBO a long time to figure out how to make quality original programming like it wasn't a process that happened overnight like they were making original programming for a long time before they made the wire and the sopranos and stuff like that oh, i mean and even hbo like for a long time they made money by bringing like just movies mm-hmm. to your tv before you could like go to blockbuster mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, that's originally what they were. That's why they're called home box office. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the... Uh, in the middle of the of the 2000s, like, you know, all of a sudden it was like, well, HBO is like the old way of doing things. And now, um, you know, all of these cable channels that you don't have to pay extra money for are, are the are the new scrappy up-and-comers fighting for the, like, top dog position. And now it's like as Amazon and Netflix are trying to get into this game and these companies are trying to, they're, they're kind of having to figure out how to be like uh not just initially successful but like long-term successful and it's really interesting to watch them you know and 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 see who really knows how to do this and and who just got lucky with a couple big uh a couple big wins and at at this point in time it kind of looks like amc maybe just got lucky with a couple big wins which is a weird thing to say about the channel that again has arguably the most popular non sports non-reality tv show on television yeah yeah like there was that new york times article from a couple months ago where it was like not only does walking dead beat uh like mad men or or like one of these other super popular shows but also the talking dead beats hit like like talking dead beat like network tv shows yeah like csi or something like that yeah yeah like the show talking about the episode of TV you just watched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. And and HBO's got a really good model going here, where they have these incredibly large, expensive, popular shows, and then they also have these just as perhaps popular but much lower cost shows. So they've got both the like bombast. And the like quiet drama. It's like, like this article mentions, like one episode of Game of Thrones pays for a lot of girls or Veep. You know, like, <laughs> like you also are not going to succeed if the only shows you have are super expensive. And I can't imagine that Walking Dead is exactly cheap. No, um, no, it's a lot of makeup and props. And what's weird to me is that I bet Mad Men is equally as expensive. Um, because of again costumes and props, and uh, also yeah. acting talent there is probably more expensive. Um, oh, I bet, I bet, I definitely think Mad Men's like s- actor salary budget has got to be way higher than mm-hmm. Walking Dead's. Mm-hmm. So uh, they don't have any of these shows that you can make for like a a small pittance. Like you know, it's always Sunny or Louis or the League, honestly, which cost I, I'm sure a tiny fraction of what Justified or the Americans cost. Certainly. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And, and this article about AMC, like, I hadn't really thought about it because, like, in my mind, I was just like, AMC is doing great. They got uh, Walking Dead. And it's like, actually, your one uh, your one big show is, like, really does not have at least, like, the critical or uh, kind of cultural cachet that, like, a lot of these other shows did. And so, like, where's what's amc if is walking dead amc's flagship show and and if so what does that say about the network um yeah because i mean well like 16 million people watched the pilot or not the pilot the season four premiere but yeah and i love walking dead like don't get me wrong i get together with my brother and a couple friends of ours and we watch walking dead like pretty much every week but i i like i kind of know like how bad it is even as i'm watching it but and I mean I just I it does I feel like it doesn't have the same 
pop cultural influence that Breaking Bad or Mad Men has had. Yeah, yeah. Like, and maybe, maybe that's partly because people are just kind of burned out about zombies in general at this point. Or maybe it's that The Walking Dead just gets rolled into this larger phenomena of zombies. Whereas, like, Breaking Bad was very much its own thing. Like, it didn't enter a genre that was already full of, like, high school teachers making drugs. But, right. You know, oh, another show about that. I know. It's like, oh my god, those are sweeping. They're like the new vampires, those high school teachers. So, I don't know. HBO's definitely got some shows that I think that it should probably just accept are never going to be popular and kill and move on. Um, I'm really thinking about Boardwalk Empire here, which uh, is never as good as I want it to be when I watch yeah, it. Yeah, but is, isn't Boardwalk Empire like, like pretty well received in general? Uh, I think overall, a lot of people think that it had a strong first season and then it's kind of gone pretty far downhill. That's the sense that I get. Okay. I mean, I've only seen the first season, mm-hmm. which and I liked it. Yeah. Um, but I, for some reason, I felt like I, I got the impression. I haven't looked very closely, but I felt like people were still watching it, and that I thought that critical reviews were still pretty supportive of it. Pretty good. Yeah, maybe. I'm not really sure. But again, I'm. I just stopped following that show because I don't get HBO and. It's too much work to go to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I think that if there's one show right now that defines HBO, it's Game of Thrones. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Which is like, like as a, as a fan of both shows, Game of Thrones is way better than Walking Dead. Like, way better than Walking Dead. <laughs> like, in Walking yes. Dead, I've never gotten to the end of a conversation between two people and been like, man, that conversation was really exciting. Like it, oh, but, <laughs> a conversation between two characters in Walking Dead? No, <laughs> but in, in Game of Thrones, it's like you know, I would sit and watch, uh, like Tywin Lannister and uh, what's her name, the Roses Lady. Uh, uh, so Tyrell, Tyrell, Lady, Lady Tyrell. I forget the the actress's name. I, I would sit and watch them, like you know, debate back and forth for like hours, just like listening to them talk at each other. Walking Dead, you really don't want to listen to them talk at all. <laughs> no, you just want to see zombies. Like, you just want I, to see I, them I, getting I, by zombies. I remember a lot of time, just like, especially season two, being like, Laurie, shut up. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll have to see what happens with AMC here. And uh, I have heard really, really, I haven't seen the first uh, episode so far, uh, or, or quite yet, but I've heard that this season of Walking Dead is really great. Um, and I think last episode, last season also, after... Quite a long, what I would think of as, as kind of a quagmire of the farm stuff in season two. Like, you know, I've heard that uh, they've really picked yeah. up their game in, in third and fourth seasons. So I actually haven't finished the third season. I'm still working through it since it just got put up on Netflix. I mean, there was a lot of sturm and drang about the uh, resolution of a lot of the plot lines from the third season. Um, so you, you may be a little disappointed. I, I, I wasn't. See. I, I didn't I, have a lot of S in it, so I was okay. But. It can't be worse than the second season. I, I think I had to. It took me forever to finish the second season because they like started and I was like, no. Mm-hmm. I just picked it up again and then I was like, no. And then I was like, <laughs> uh, I just finished this. Okay. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, okay, I can keep watching this. Mm-hmm. And actually, when I think about the first season, like, if the first season was as long as the second season, I probably would have gone through the same thing. Well, yeah, the first season was like shockingly short. And it was even, six episodes. Even like being shockingly short, 
I feel like there were a couple where it was kind of like I don't really know where you guys are going. Well, and like we've we we talked about this like last year, maybe two years I ago. About when we talked about Walking Dead the first time, maybe um, it was in our Halloween episode a couple years back. Yeah, it might have been two years ago, but we were like talking about like like we you watched the pilot. Mm-hmm. Great pilot. Yeah, the pilot. I, I see it happening. The- you're like, uh, we just sat there kind of being like, what happened again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> went to, this, to Atlanta or, or like the city. But Red then, Nick like, dude. they had to like run back. But then they had to go back into the city for some reason. And then they like went back to the camp. And then, like, oh no, zombies. And someone got bit. And then suddenly the CDC blows up. <laughs> and like, wait, what? You just stop. You're like, what happened for like That's this right. air? Like six episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I still I, think, with perhaps one exception, an episode from season three that I think is really just sublime and amazing and and perfect. Um, the pilot's still the best episode of Walking Dead by like a very large margin. I'm excited. Would how far into the third season is? Let me see if you've already watched it or not. It is. Episode twelve. Oh, uh, definitely not. Yeah, it's kind of like a uh, bottle episode in that a couple of characters get isolated away from the main storyline, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the main storyline after it's over. Um, but episode twelve, which is called Clear, is uh, a really, 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 really great episode. No, I've I've only done three so far, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I will finish it before next weekend because I'm going as Glenn for Halloween. Oh yeah, so you have to know everything that happens with uh with him. So I don't know, it'll be interesting. And in general I think it's interesting for like T V networks to figure out you know, you have all these shows that are you know, maybe make a big impact on pop culture but remain like frustratingly little watched. Like if if uh Walking Dead really did get sixteen million viewers in it for the first episode of the fourth season i think that's something like eight times more viewers than any episode of breaking bad <laughs> maybe that's wrong maybe breaking bad's ratings improved but I, I think it was like in the two to three million uh zone you know a lot of the time right um so it's kind of like you know do you give the people what they seem to want but then that didn't giving the people what they want did not lead to like the golden age of television, like giving the people what they want led to like American Idol, like, <laughs> like yeah. Uh, what led to all of those amazing, amazing shows like The Shield and Deadwood and Sopranos and Lost and uh, you know Twenty Four and uh, Battlestar Galactica was like a usually a, someone with a very strong vision. And the talent to like bring it to life on screen, um, and uh, I don't know. I feel like there's just fewer of those shows than there were just a couple years ago. All right. Anyway, anything else on just kind of general state of of uh, cable AMC? TV and AMC? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll move on then. Um, which means that it's probably time to introduce our new movie series. 
Yes. So uh, we're sticking with this uh, theme. You know, first we did Firefly, and we we did 13 episodes on Firefly. Then we did Pixar. We did 13 episodes on Pixar. And then for the next one, we decided to pick like a specific kind of genre or or type of movie for our film series. And so we did time travel films. That's what we did for the last eight or nine. uh, We did eight eight episodes on time travel. Six Uh, and two. Yeah, so our our new uh, topic, our, our new theme, our new genre is uh, American remakes of foreign films, basically. Or or I guess... Well, no, not just... Not just like, foreign films and their American remakes. Exactly, that's a better way to put it. Because um, sometimes the foreign film is more culturally significant, sometimes the American remake is more culturally significant, but we're really looking at pairs of films where... You know, there's a, a foreign version and then, and then an American version. Um, so we, we have an updated, or, or we will have by the time this airs, an updated film series list uh, up online that you can check out and see where we're going from here. Um, and then we have left a couple of slots open for people to uh Right, again, suggest. feel free to suggest exactly. your favorite foreign film and or its American adaptation exactly sadly the lake house which actually totally qualifies uh yeah we will not, we will not be talking about again so don't don't bother to re-suggest the lake house please um but uh no we're just asking for like our idiot friends <laughs> just million people are just, so like, just so we do another like, hour on the lake house uh yeah that would be a disaster um but so for our first one this week we're talking about uh godzilla but you know so Original version, obviously, the 1954 Japanese classic, Godzilla, or maybe Gojira. Um, um, and then uh, the 1998 Roland Emmerich uh, remake. Um, so it, which one of these films did you watch? Um, you know, which one had you already been familiar with? Like, what did you do in preparation for this episode? I mean, I had seen both a long time ago. I mean, I don't remember when I watched the original Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Sometime when I was a kid. And then... I'm 95% sure that Alex... Bleep. Oh, Alex, last name redacted. <laughs> we'll have to edit that in post. I'll, just, I'll put a big bleep right there. Alex, bleep. <laughs> Dragged me to see Godzilla in movie theaters. As I'm sure you've heard me complain before, Alex has a long track history of making me go see bad sci-fi movies with him in movie theaters. <laughs> and I apparently never learned my lesson. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, and so you're not a fan of the 1998 Godzilla, I'm assuming. No, it was the, and that was the last time I'd seen it until actually yesterday when I finally sat down and watched it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had never seen the original Godzilla, uh, the the older Japanese version. Um, so I did watch it in preparation for this podcast, and then I had seen the remake when it came out in theaters, you know, back in 1997, 1998, and. I did not totally rewatch it for this. I kind of like skimmed it because it's oh, shockingly too- long. It's two and a half hours. <laughs> it's it's a really long. It is unjustifiably long. Yeah, so I think I earlier, yeah, earlier this week when I fa- when I looked it up how long it was to see like if I could do both in one night, I was like, it is two and a half hours long. Mm-hmm. So I basically like kind of. Uh, uh, I, I like sped watched it where I basically just skipped all the parts with Jean Reno because he's my favorite actor in the movie um, and then uh, watched the last half an hour or so so I I, uh, I kind of failed I, I fell down on my on my face but I have seen it before so it's not like I didn't have any interaction with it at all uh, just a long time ago 
Um, you know, I think that the the consensus is pretty broad that the new Godzilla is is pretty bad. Even the people who made it are kind of like, yeah, this movie, honestly, pretty bad. Um, so you know, it it, it kind of sucks. But what I was kind of surprised to find out is that I actually also thought that the 1954 older version of Godzilla was also pretty bad. Um. It's one of these iconic movies that you know all kinds of shots and scenes from, and you know there's callbacks to it all over the place. And when we had a similar situation with Planet of the Apes for our last film series, I remember being kind of surprised. Like, hey, Planet of the Apes actually kind of a good movie, you know. In addition to kind of spawning, I, I can see be, why it yeah. spawned all this stuff. I, I, I didn't really get that with this original Godzilla. I just thought it was too slow. Um, I will like, agree. Yeah, that it was pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I feel like the pacing of movies back then was just slower. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing that gets me is like, this is not that old of a film. Like 54. It, it looks older than 1954. I mean, Roger Ebert in his review makes the point that it looks about the same or worse than King Kong, which predates it by a good 22 years. Something like that. Um, and like in 54, like in 54, Alfred Hitchcock was making, uh, like Vertigo, you know, but like, like Godzilla was like sort of an unplanned project. Yeah, that's true. It was, it was a, a project where they're like, "Oh, we need to make a movie." Mm-hmm. Uh, um, how about this idea? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they weren't working with the biggest budget or the greatest amount of time to begin no, with. And I don't think anyone really expected that it would have the cultural impact that it had when they put the film together for the first time you know like it is a it's a it, it is maybe like an, an original cult classic where um its success and influence and as someone who sat down and watched both of the movies all the way through mm-hmm. this time i will say that as <laughs> slow of a pace as godzilla it is it's way more engaging than the 1998 remake yeah that's true that's true um, like, I don't know how, like, this two-and-a-half-hour-long movie where it's nothing but action is way more boring than this, like, 90-minute black-and-white film of nothing but Japanese people talking. Yeah, with really only a couple of big um, only, yeah, kind of a attack moments in it all. Like, you know, there's a couple original attacks on the island, um, and then I think, like, like, two big attacks on Tokyo, um... I read that the actor could only wear the suit for three minutes at a time without suffocating. I totally believe it, man. That thing looks hot. And they had to they had to put in a drain in the bottom to be able to like pour out the sweat that built up in there. Can you imagine how disgusting that is? <laughs> like totally imagine gross. imagine wearing like a full body wetsuit that's just filled with your sweat. <laughs> that's what I imagine it's like. <laughs> like that's just disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when when we're talking about the original Godzilla, did you you watch the subtitled version, the original yeah, Japanese version, without Raymond Burr? Yeah, because I mean, I, I was reading a bit about the Raymond. I, I also watched that version because it's the Criterion Collection version that's on uh, uh, Hulu Plus. Um, but I was reading about the Americanized version, and I did not realize that they stripped out pretty much all of the subtext and political content and basically everything about atomic nuclear weapons which i'm not even sure how you can do that and still have a that's coherent like, movie because that is it's a, that it's a surprisingly is, large part of this movie and that's that was another big problem i had with the 1998 1998 remake is that they took away this whole concept of 
or like the whole basis of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because obviously I had known that that was the subtext of the original film just from reading about it and what I knew about the film. But I, I, I was surprised when I watched it that it's actually not subtext. It's just text. No, it's just text. Like, it's very, it's like, very clear that they're playing to this, uh, this uh, fear in the, or uh, cultural one, kind of tragedy. It was, like, very real for the people of Japan at the time. Yeah, since exactly. They just went through both the bombings and then that unfortunate uh, incident with the, the fishing boat, the fishing boat, and like the uh, French po- in French Polynesia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, I-, I thought it was interesting because I, it mentions in the Wikipedia article that some contemporary uh, critics thought it was kind of pandering to those uh, feelings, those fears. But it's really what gives the film its longevity and kind of place in pop culture. Is that like, you know, that it did speak to these fears and and was successful because of it. Yeah, I don't even know if it like I wouldn't even call it pandering. Yeah, like it's like addressing real issues that they were facing at the time. Yeah. Oh no, I wouldn't call it pandering either. I was trying to summarize their, their position. I know, yeah. but I, I think that it's condescending or dismissive to just call it pandering. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I think it's interesting. I also think maybe, it, it, weirdly enough, even though I did not particularly enjoy the movie as a movie, um, it made me want to go watch more movies in the original Godzilla series. Cause I, don't, I don't have any uh, familiar with this entire like kaiju sub genre of, of monster movies. Um, and it seems like they just got progressively more bananas as time was went on. So like, <laughs> yeah, <they> <laughs> really interested in watching like, well, first of all, there's like 500 Godzilla movies. Um, yeah, I think but, they're like, like terror of Mecha Godzilla, uh, Godzilla reigns again, King Kong versus Godzilla, son of Godzilla. At some point he like Terminator two style, like transforms into a hero. Yeah, um, he, he fights like, the other evil monster to save. Exactly. So, like, yeah. it, weirdly enough, like, it made me want to get more familiar with the series, especially since I'm assuming that their budget and quality improved, you know, over time since the movies were being made through the 60s and 70s. So, one would expect that it couldn't get much worse. <laughs> it's really just a like a poorly put together movie as a movie. Like it's like I was looking at it and like like the footage of like the planes flying in. And it's like that is very clearly like a toy airplane. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Like, it's really dark. Like, like it's not. You and I could lit. film this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we like we don't with, could. <laughs> like we like we wouldn't need funding mm-hmm. to make a similar quality movie. We would need a video camera. Exactly. On our cell phone. <laughs> so, yeah. There's some very charming pictures of that behind-the-scenes actor wearing the uh, Godzilla costume where he he's, like, only got the feet on and he's got, like, some kind of really complicated contraption for how he can move the feet and the tail. I don't know. It's, uh, oh. it's very... It's, it's like, weirdly cute-looking, like, in, instead of being terrifying. What I did, what I really liked about the first Godzilla, the the '54 version, is that like all of the main characters had different motivations, and none of them were entirely right or wrong. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Like, 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's very true. Like the the various scientists and townspeople and stuff like that. Like they all had they were kind of working at cross cross purposes at a lot of points. Like you kind of understood everyone's point of view, mm-hmm. and then at the same time you're like, but at the same time, no. <laughs> <laughs> like you're right maybe you shouldn't just kill godzilla like he's an important you know biological city but at the same time he is destroying your city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at the same time like no you shouldn't unleash this oxygen dis- dissolving weapon on the world but at the same time there is a monster destroying your city i think that was actually this the best part of the movie was their discussion about whether or not the circumstances justified using basically a new weapon of mass destruction. Like it's, it's very on point. Like it's very, you know, I can see why I I, I can see why people would have thought that that's like, like ridiculous. Like, Oh, you're just, you know, it's like, I can see why people would have thought it was just too close to reality to be even satirical, but I really liked it. I thought it was a good moral quandary that, uh, and because like they, I mean, like, in the development of atomic weapons, they struggle with the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, <laughs> like that, really like that when Godzilla first comes ashore, they find a trilobite in his footprint. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> There's a trilobite, like, just hanging out on his foot. Like, <laughs> like, eating lots of stuff that grows between his toes. See, the 1990, like, the 1998 Godzilla lacked all of these things. And it tried to introduce these, like, children Godzilla... Like the babies that hatch out of the eggs. I mean, they were basically the raptors of Jurassic Park. Exactly. It, it really just was an attempt to just hop on the back of an existing franchise and just make it into Jurassic Park movie. All of the characters were kind of unimportant in this. Yeah. There was the colonel who um, was like in charge of the thing and then... There was that one sergeant that Matthew Broderick's character always talked to out in the field. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember at the end, like, the colonel calls the sergeant. He's like, oh, good job out there. And, like, I was like, Did I didn't do anything. Fe- I didn't feel any connect, like, um, like, character connection. I was like, yeah, okay, they won, but, like, yeah. whatever. Also, like, the way that Godzilla was defeated in the 1998 one was super lame. It, like, got trapped in a bridge. Yeah, and they just shot missiles at it. They just shot missiles at it. Like, missiles don't kill Godzilla. That's, like, one of the things about Godzilla. We already saw you shoot a bunch of missiles at it. (laughs) It didn't work. Also, missiles are not like bullets. Like, they have guidance systems on it, so you wouldn't even really need it to be standing still to shoot it with a bunch of missiles. Like, that's the point of missiles. Right. Although you remember that their their throwaway line was like, oh, it's a lizard, so oh, we yeah. start seeking guidance. But you have, like, other missiles. Also, I'm pretty sure it's still hotter than, like... A building? Yeah, like, this is like a, a bridge or something. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure cold-blooded does not literally mean undetectable with infrared. <laughs> but I did uh, also think it was bullshit in the old one where he's showing off his super-duper weapon and she's like, I can't even look. And she like buries her face in his shoulder and then just all the fish are dead. Um, I really liked um, how they did that when he showed it to her and like mm-hmm. you didn't see anything like it went off and like she screamed in terror and like hit her eyes mm-hmm. and then it was just like 
the seat next scene like her back in her house or whatever uh-huh. so like you it just played on your imagination like what happened in that t- like what was this like weapon or whatever he did in there in the lab mm-hmm. i liked that because it let your imagination create whatever it wanted yeah and then, but then at the end then you like then they flash back to it and i was like oh yeah turn and I, I didn't even it didn't even really make sense like he was like it dissolved all the oxygen or like it destroyed all of the oxygen so that the fish asphyxiated but then it also turned into a skeleton <laughs> like what like so it, it so it like you know choked to death and then like all of its flesh melted away yeah i don't that's I don't not something that happens <laughs> so i mean but like you know, fifty years ago, they weren't like thinking about the science of it. They're just like, ah, science. True, true. Though again, like I think that you know, audiences were certainly maybe less sophisticated then. But like the the movie that we'll watch next week, Seven Samurai, is from the same company, or it's the same country, and the same year as this movie. Yes, and I think as yes. we will discover, there is a vast. Uh, a vast difference between these films in every area, not just like special effects or whatever, but also editing, cinematography, coherence of the plot. Uh, you know, it, it, yes, it's an old movie, and yes, it's a cheap movie. But like, there are old cheap movies that were better than this one. It's just that it happened to target in a really intelligent way uh, something that that gave it this longevity. Yeah, it did. I mean, it did certain things well, mm-hmm. and I think now God Godzilla—it's the idea of Godzilla has just entered pop culture so significantly that people kind. This is, I think, Godzilla is something that's really entered pop cultural osmosis. Yeah, I think so too. And that everyone knows Godzilla, and then I don't think a lot of people have. Actually, seen this movie? Seen, seen the movie, either movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. Or any of the movies, any of the, uh, yeah, forty movies. Yeah, yeah. Who, who has <laughs> seen like Mecha Godzilla versus whatever? <laughs> Me next week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will say that the one part in uh, Godzilla, the the fifty four version that I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" is when he it turns out that he has atomic breath. Oh yeah, because I totally forgot that he doesn't just stomp on things. He also has like this fire breath kind of deal, like melting. Yeah, yeah. And so when he gets like he gets tangled up in like those electrical wires or whatever, and he's like, "This <laughs> is like, oh fuck, <laughs> 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 that's so much worse than it was before." <laughs> I can't like all. Oh, I just I'm looking at the cast list of the 1998 Godzilla. So many of the characters are so useless. Like, why were they in the film? Like, why was the mayor yeah. in the film? Well, and it's not like the other thing is that it's not like the director of this movie, uh, Roland Emmerich. It's not like he made this movie and was like really humbled and was like, oh shit, you know what? I made a really bad movie. I should stop making bad movies. Like this guy is responsible. He's like he's like the poor man's Michael Bay. He's got Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, uh, the day after tomorrow, ten thousand BC to twenty twelve, and White House Down. Wow. 
Like, he has continued to make these sorts of movies throughout his entire career. <laughs> he has destroyed the world in a lot of movies. Like, I, I'm shocked that 2012 and The Day After Tomorrow were made by different people, or weren't made by different people because they're basically the same story. Although, The Day After Tomorrow also came out surprisingly a long time ago. Yeah, we're, we're still in high school. Not realize that it was a 2004 movie. All right. Well, anything else? Um, I guess not. Up. All right. In case we didn't mention it, up next is Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai slash The Magnificent Seven, starring God. Who's in that? That's like all those. It's like Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen. Yeah, it's all those and... names from back in the day. Yeah, like basically all the movie stars from the 60s. Eli Wallach. Yeah. Other people? <laughs> other people. Well, there are other people. Great. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so yeah, for next week, we're watching Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven. And uh, we will try to return to somewhat of a regular uh, recording schedule after this as we're starting our new season, uh, season four. I like to think of it. Um, yeah, sure. Season four. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for uh, tuning in. And um, and again, if you have any suggestions for movies for us to watch or just other topics you want to hear us talk about, new, mm-hmm. new movies out in theaters, TV shows, music, books, something, video games, I don't know. Definitely. Definitely and, and let we us know. really went for uh, kind of culturally important or significant ones with this, so uh, kind of like last time, I am anticipating all of the suggestions will be uh, at least one of the two movies is pretty shitty. Yeah, and again, you cannot make us watch The Lake House again. You can't. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. Amazon has really kind of fucked this up for everybody, though, because, like, I have Amazon Prime, so, like, a horrible, yuppie person that I am, like, uh, it's taken over my, like, shopping life. And I've gotten so used to things being here in two days, no matter how small. It's like, are you out of paper towels? Two days from now, you won't be. Um, and so, like... Also, okay. <laughs> the other day, I bought, like, a pair of shoes from, like, an independent retailer, and it was like, they've shipped. They'll be there in five to eight days. And I was like, are you fucking shitting me? I like, forgot <laughs> how long like actual shipping is or like how absurdly expensive two-day shipping is for anyone who's not Amazon. So it's like, you can definitely have them in two days. It'll just cost you like a third of the cost of the shoe again. Oh, even like, like regular shipping prices. No, it's like 10 bucks what? to ship these fucking shoes. I was like, this is horrible. I hate what? This. I know. I like. I ordered the the board this Firefly board game from like some sci-fi game shop, and it was like thirty five dollars. And I was like, oh, that's so cheap. I'll get that. And then it's like thirteen dollars shipping. I'm like, and it really is not fair. Like the only reason why Amazon is so cheap is first of all because Jeff Bezos is a crazy person, and second of all because <laughs> they have like these incredible economies of scale that let them say yeah. to UPS, you know, like we're gonna pay you a billion dollars and in return you're going to give us a better deal on shipping than you give anybody else but so it's totally not fair and i get that like economically it's not fair to expect this like small 
independent shoe company to get me my stuff by the end of the week just because I'm lazy and really want it. But at the same time, it just feels bad. Like it's like feels like we're going backwards to like the the olden days. <laughs> olden days. <laughs> get in my car and drive to a store yeah. and talk to someone. Mm-hmm. 